economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm Jacob Caudill, the undergraduate scholar for the Gortney Institute. With me today is Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics, Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, and Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Professor of Economic Education and Research. All right. Well, I want to start off with congratulating uh, young Jacob Cottill as our undergraduate scholar who is graduating this coming Saturday. He walks the stage, a double major in business economics and accounting. So he is set up with a new job down in Houston. So congratulations, Jacob. Thanks, Russ. That's yeah. awesome. Congrats. So, yeah, we got a, we have a new undergraduate scholar joining the Gortney Institute uh, this fall, Cole. So we'll have another person to help uh, shape and mold. J Jacob, what has it been like? Uh, I'm going to throw you right on the spot right away. Um, your participation in the Gortney Institute events, I mean, have, what, what's been your impression over the four years that you've been doing that compared to when you walked in here as a freshman and where you sit today? Um, initially coming in, I kind of wasn't sure what I was getting into. Um, <laughs> but, you know, after going through everything, it's actually been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's been a really good experience, at least for me, for growth um, and then getting to know different topics a lot more than I thought I would, especially in the classroom. Um, this stuff kind of reaches outside of that. And a lot of the colloquiums and book clubs we do leads a lot towards stuff that we can use later on in life. So I, I think it's been a lot of help for me, uh, molding me as a person. Great. That's awesome. That's what, that's what we're trying to do. And we'll be sure to stay in touch with you over the years as well. Absolutely. All right. So our topic today is... Um, related to the government and inflation. And uh, we wanted to, at least for starters here, tackle capital gains tax. So um, the government tries to collect money in a variety of ways. And uh, at the top of the list is probably our income tax. And so your earned income through your employment is kind of the one people know the most about. Um, and then there's also different ways that they tax your investments. So if you are have your money in some stocks that pay a dividend, or if you have some bonds, or you've made a loan of some sort to somebody, you can have interest income. And so basically the government, um, in a sense, taxes your savings account. So you deferred consumption, you put it into something that earned 10%, uh, you have $1,000 worth of interest, and that turns into a taxable form of income. So it's a little bit of a disincentive to... Uh, save money as well. And then finally, um, when you go to sell an asset, whether that's a, a physical asset, like a collector car or a painting or something, or a financial asset, uh, like a stock or bond or something else, <clears throat> and if it's gone up in value, you have what's called a, a capital gain. I believe the current law is if you earn that capital gain within one, and I can't remember if it's two years, uh, it actually gets taxed as ordinary income. So it'll be taxed at the same level. Justin, you got something on that? Um, I just want to uh, stipulate that it's if it, if it goes up in price. Yes, good point. Right? Yeah, yeah. so the price, uh, basically the price you buy it at versus the price you sell it at. Um, and then if you get into real estate and you had uh, depreciation where you bought it for 100,000 and you held it for 10 years and uh, you got a, a tax credit of depreciation, 
uh, to the tune of 20,000. Now you have recaptured depreciation that you get to pay tax on in addition to the fact that maybe it went up in price, as Justin said, the sale price of uh, let's say 130,000 versus the acquisition price of 100. So you have a $30,000 capital gain and you have uh, $20,000 worth of recaptured depreciation. It starts to make your mind bend and that's what the IRS wants to do is keep you thinking so that um, they can get money in a variety of ways on how you want to try to build wealth. Um, and so the capital gains part is the one we wanted to talk about in regard to inflation. So if your house went up in value from 100,000 to 130 over a five-year period, um, and this would be a rental house, by the way. So uh, an owner-occupied house is exempt now. It's been exempt for a number of years. I think it's exempt up to even 500,000 or it might even be higher. They, they raised that value. Um, but you won't have to pay this tax on that. So if your personal residence went up from 200,000 to 300 or 400 even, that gain of 200,000 is untaxed. Uh, they do exempt that part. Uh, but for other investment property and other things that we're talking about here, um, you're gonna face a capital gains tax. And so the capital gains rate currently is about 15,000 and then it actually scales up depending on your income. If you're a higher income person, it might ramp up to 20%. Now, this is a lot less than your ordinary income tax rate. So people who are house flippers, and since I'm in the real estate business, uh, I kind of got burned on this or made aware of it, I guess, early on, that if you buy a house, it's a junker, you fix it up and um, you increase the value and you made 160000 or or you made, I'm sorry, it went up in price to 160 from 120. Well, then uh, you have to pay ordinary income tax. Now, if you're a high income earner, that could put you into a 30% bracket on the profit that you made off the flipped house. So my strategy has been to be kind of a long-term hold and keep the property as a rental property. And that way, when you do ultimately sell it, it'll be uh, taxed at the lower rate of capital gains. All right, that might be a little bit TMI. I apologize. This is just uh, one of those things that I like to dig into. And we got I've seen Jacob, our our young accounting uh, graduate now, in addition to economics, shaking his head that, oh yeah, I remember listening to that, learning about that in Professor Wagner's class. And um, so these are the things you face. And a lot of people, this catches them by surprise when they have a vacation property or a condo or something and they, and they sell it, that they get hit with a pretty good uh, tax liability. So the issue I wanna bring up today is this idea of inflation. And um, maybe I'll let Peter, Peter, I, I, want, I feel like I want you to jump in since you are an inflation expert, uh, given, gave a couple talks on this. Uh, we both talk about it in class, of course, but just in general, maybe start to get inflation as it relates to this topic of where we're going with it. Sure. Well, to start also, listeners should know, uh, if, I think there's also a rule that if you turn your house around uh, in less than two years, they'll also hit you uh, with capital gains tax. Yeah. Yeah, uh, years, which yeah. is a uh, pain for someone who has changing circumstances. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I forgot about that. I'm gonna, for you. I got to close after June 2nd. So uh, I know my date. Yeah. You have uh, to live there in two of the last five years, I right. think is yeah. the rule. So. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, even a more complicated and convoluted <laughs> system that uh, really hurts people who have uncertain circumstances. Um, but yeah, inflation. So um, by now, you've probably, listeners, heard things about inflation and have a general idea of what inflation is. Modern economists generally define inflation as a rise in the general or the average level of prices. 
Uh, and you might think, well, what's an average price? Well, you know, imagine every good that's sold in the economy and every like time that not like all TVs, but each time a TV is sold, you write down that price and you do that for every good in the economy over the course of like a year. Then you take the average of all of those prices for all of those goods sold. That's going to give you your average price uh, for goods for the year. And why this matters, well, you might think, well, why does it matter if average prices are going up or down? Uh, well, it's not such a big deal when one price goes up or down, because when one price goes up or down, it's going up or down relative to something else. And that's usually a reflection of like important underlying knowledge. And so, for example, um, if like iPhones increase in price relative to uh, your labor, we could say your wage, what that would imply is that the resources that uh, are associated with the iPhone and the iPhone itself have become more valuable uh, compared to your labor than it once was. And so it's important to communicate that uh, those resources are more valuable than they used to be. And so changes in prices are not by themselves a bad thing. But when everything increases in price at the same time, or almost everything increases in price, or on average prices are increasing, what that implies is that basically the supply of money has increased more quickly than the supply of goods and services. That's ultimately what has to be at the root of inflation. Either there's been a decrease in the supply of goods and services that very rarely happens for extended periods of time. In fact, in American history, it really hasn't happened for any very extended period of time. There have been increases in production in the United States for the last, you know, again, uh, like 200 plus years, accepting a few different things like the Great Depression or something. Uh, on the other hand, though, of that equation is the supply of money. And so when the supply of money increases, if you have the same amount of goods even, or even like a slight increase in the number of goods, but you have more dollars chasing that larger number of goods, what that's going to mean is people are going to start bidding the prices up. Imagine, you know, you have 100 more dollars in your wallet today. Well, you probably had an expenditure that you were planning to make that you needed $100 more for. And so you go out and spend that money uh, and everybody goes out and spends that extra $100 in their wallet. Well, the shelves start to clear out and businesses start to raise prices. And that happens with all goods and services in the economy. So that's inflation kind of in a, a nutshell. Anything to add, Russ or Justin? The only thing I'd add is um, things go up at different rates. And you, you said this as far as taking the average, but uh, especially listeners, you've seen grocery store increases that are actually higher than other prices going up. Uh, gasoline could be another area, but uh, our, some of our grocery stores, we've seen prices 10 to 15% higher, even though the average level of prices have only been increasing 7%. So there's other industries where the pace might be slower than that. Um, uh, typically, historically, TVs and um, other electronics and high-tech gadgets, uh, the inflation and in those areas have been less. And so um, that makes it extra bad for what's going on now that the poor, especially um, food and gas, are being hit harder with this latest bout of inflation than, than some other goods. So I want to just reiterate why I made sure to say that we're talking about rises in prices rather than rises in value when we're talking about a capital gains tax, um, because capital gains taxes you when your assets, once sold, net you more um, in terms of price than you paid for it, right? Um, but if it's the case that general uh, prices are rising throughout the economy, uh, 
even though there might have been a rise in price, the value of that asset rather relative to other items in the economy might have stayed uh, completely stagnant. And so um, a capital gains tax can tax you for, it can tax your wealth when your actual wealth hasn't increased at all, just because um, an extra digit has been added to every single price in the economy, not just yours. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And a lot of times, actually, economists will even exclude things like stock prices from inflation calculations. And there's some like like there's a reason for that. When we think of like goods rising that hurt people, we generally don't think of people's stock, uh, you know, portfolios increasing being bad for them. We think of it as being good. What's really bad for them is when consumer prices increase. And so uh, usually inflation is measured with this thing called the CPI, the consumer price index that looks like things like food and gas, transportation, housing, some of the biggest things people buy. But when we over-focus on that, we do tend to forget some of the things that Justin is pointing out here, uh, which is that uh, if stocks increase in price just because everything is increasing in price, uh, that actually doesn't help you in any way. And so if everything is 10% more expensive and your stock portfolio increases 10%, you actually haven't gained any real wealth. Like if you cashed out those stocks and sold them today and you went out to buy stuff and all the prices were proportionately the same amount higher, then you actually wouldn't be able to make a benefit off the fact that that stock portfolio increased by, again, say 10%. And so like in real terms, you are not better off when inflation is the thing that's driving the increase in your stock portfolio. Right. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. When we come back, I'm going to give a specific example to show how screwed over uh, the government is making us. Uh, and it'll hopefully be in a way that we can rise up and challenge current policy on how capital gains are handled now that we are facing these inflationary times. We'll be back in just a bit. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for philosophy, politics, and economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest. This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and then participate in competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics. Our everyday economics program is just a half day on a Saturday, and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. Okay, welcome back. Um, so to continue on with this capital gains tax consequences, so let me just give you a quick example. So again, the current capital gains tax is 15%. And so if you bought a property um, of that was worth 100,000, and over the last uh, three years, there was 10% inflation, just to keep numbers without doing compounding, you're, you're, through inflation, your house is now worth 
130,000, right? And so now you go to sell it and the capital gains calculation for the amount of quote unquote profit you made, even though it's not real profit, but the nominal profit is simply the new price you sold it at 130 minus the old price you bought it at three years ago of 100 gives you $30,000 of taxable income or uh, income that's subject to capital gains tax. If the capital gains tax is 15%, that's $4,500 of tax you're getting hit. And so to build on what Peter was saying, if the actual inflation rate was 10% during those three years, you didn't gain anything. The 30,000 is extra money that's needed to put the same amount of items in your shopping cart at Walmart. So that 30,000 only kept up with the average level of prices if it was through all pure inflation, but yet the government is going to get $4,500 of that gain, even though they don't, you didn't profit anything in terms of real terms. And so it's not an insignificant amount of money when we start dealing with the inflation that we've had now, when, when in the United States, it was 2% or 2 to 3% historically, uh, it's, you know, we, we tend to overlook these things a little bit. But now when that uh, inflation is really driving a large part of those gains, um, it, it seems really unjust. Um, and so <clears throat> something that had been kicked around in the past that maybe needs to be brought up again is having an inflation adjusted capital gain. Um, and so that would look something like, uh, and again, this is all data that the IRS and the Federal Reserve have. It would be su super easy peasy to, to take the inflation rate. And for my example, let's just say that we're able to calculate that over the three-year period, 25,000 of that 30,000 was due to inflation, then we simply say, okay, 130 minus 125 is $5,000 taxable event, right? So now you would pay 15% on 5,000 rather than 30,000. And so there's a lot of people with these types of um, gains and, and they're not necessarily uh, rich people either. Uh, there, there's kind of ordinary folks out there that might have, uh, you know, a couple rental properties or something else uh, here and there that that can get impacted by this. Yeah. Uh, one of the misconceptions, I think, with regards to the capital gains tax is that it really hits rich people. And so one of the interesting things for us, as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that we kind of do adjust income taxes for inflation already. And so listeners at home, you might have thought to yourselves, well, it sounds like this problem for income taxes too. And it actually is to some degree. I don't want to dismiss it completely. But if you look, they actually will uh, adjust um, the brackets for uh, income tax each year. And they tend to do so based off inflation. So if you look at the tax bracket uh, for this year, the thresholds are a lot higher than they were for two years ago. And so in theory, the IRS already does this with income tax. And so you might think, well, this is good because I'm a communist and <laughs> I think that we should tax capital a lot and labor very little. Uh, and this is, even if you are a communist, which I'm sure not many of our listeners are, but uh, even <laughs> if you were, this is not actually a good thing that only is going to hurt uh, capitalists. Because we oftentimes think of stocks as just like things that rich people have. But in reality, if if you're planning on retiring at all, your retirement account has some sort of balance when it comes to uh, stocks. Most 401ks are almost entirely com composed of stocks. Uh, now, there is a little bit of like tax, uh, you know, uh, 
avoidance. Uh, that's not the right word because that almost has a negative tax preference. Yeah. You mean Roth yeah. 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 IRA? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a little tax. bit of tax preference for retirement accounts, things like that, that might screw some of this. But uh, you know, anybody who is investing in anything that's even slightly taxed in order to save for retirement, that person's getting hit by this too. So it's not just super rich people. Uh, who are going to be paying higher taxes on their capital gains because of inflation, the average Joe is going to buy a stock over their life that's going to have some taxable implications for them. And allowing inflation to determine that tax rate is just not fair for the average person. Yeah. Jacob, you had another area? Yeah. Um, over this last tax season, I've seen a lot of documents for 1099Bs and stuff regarding corporate trading for shares and stuff. And an interesting one I came across was crypto uh, currencies. Uh, company Robinhood's actually. Oh, okay. So you're speaking in regard to the accounting internship that yeah. you did. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so Robinhood actually has been treating their stocks or their crypto asset trading and uh, reporting it as if it's a stock. Um, but there's also companies out there like Binance. They're not giving you that base that you bought it for. So you they just give you the ending information for the year of what you sold and then what you bought. So they're not giving that like, oh. uh, cost basis to pr- provide that um, value in the sense of the initial what you bought it for to calculate that gain. Huh. Um, it's all just pooling together. So the IRS kind of is in a sticky situation, I think, with that, at least with some companies, because they're not reporting it um, with the sense of gains at all. Because with like Binance, that example, um, it's hard to tell what um, cryptos you're buying at what price because the prices are fluctuating so much yeah. with just the market and that, um, you know, inflation might be a part of it, but those capital gains for that stuff is really hard to determine if you're not trading with like Robinhood, who's providing you statements for the day and time you bought the crypto for right. and the day and time you sold it at to give you that price uh, difference. Just just also, some crypto assets, like in particular Bitcoin, are uh, fungible, so it becomes very difficult to say which um, amount of Bitcoin you bought at any given time. So I know that you have to either choose to just do last in, first out, or first in, first out, and stick with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think I, I don't want to make this entirely a crypto podcast here, <laughs> which is what we might be doing in a second, but I do think like the, there is an important like uh, aside here, which is that crypto think about it is being treated like a stock for tax purposes. In other words, it's, it's a, you, you that's get tax a, yeah, on that's an asset. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that is not true of alternative currencies. In other words, if you buy and sell pesos, uh, at least in like small dollar amounts, there is no expectation that you're reporting your arbitrage benefits, right? And by small amounts, I'm talking about hundreds of dollars, right, Russ? That like, there's no tax authority. If you go to Guatemala, that's going to say, hey, how many uh, pesos did you buy in Guatemala? And what at what rate were they when you, when you bought I, things I was in down there for a month, and yeah. then I came back. And, and so this, that's this interesting. Is, I don't know if that's an exemption or if that's just something that they don't want to bother with. It, it, might, it might be but... something that they don't want to bother with, but it's important to point out that cryptocurrency is usually purchased in these small increments too, right? Like there are a few people who purchase sure. thousands of dollars at a time, but there's like a lot of people who have like a hundred dollars in Bitcoin, right? Uh, and they can actually use that Bitcoin to buy things that happen sometimes, or they could just, you know, sell it for the USD. Yeah. Uh, but there's a tax expectation on Bitcoin uh, because of these different exchanges that you don't really have with other currencies in these small dollar amounts. So I did want to kind of point that out, that, that I, I, this is a little bit, uh, we could say, unfair to cryptocurrency as a currency. 
because uh, other currencies you can very easily avoid taxes and, mm. and crypto you can't so much. Uh, except for, of course, the bigger problem to the government, which is that uh, in some sense, it is a little bit easier to avoid taxes from the government. And maybe not in our current tax structure, but we have heard like inklings or discussions about unrealized gains for a long time, right? Sure. Uh, which is tax, like a wealth tax. Yeah, a wealth tax, right? And the, so, uh, yeah, just explain unrealized means you haven't sold it yet, but you might have had increases in the value. Your wealth is building, but you have, there hasn't been a what we usually call a taxable event. Right. And we've avoided that in the United States, God bless America, but there's been proposals to try to tax wealth. Yeah, and it, it has, like this it exists in countries like France, have adopted like wealth taxes, and I don't know what to what degree they have like uh, wealth loss uh, subsidies. I don't know. Hopefully they compensate for that, but I don't imagine they do. Uh, but crypto is a little bit different in that you might be able to tax the, the buying and selling so long as you do it through like official exchanges and stuff like that, which most people do. Most people aren't selling their Bitcoin for dollars in an alleyway. That's pretty rare. Uh, or even over the dark web. That's still pretty rare. It does happen, I'm sure. But I, I doubt, uh, apart from big criminal organizations, that that happens a whole lot. Um, but a lot of people are sitting on amounts of Bitcoin that exist in wallets or other spaces that are not properly accounted for. In fact, most of the Bitcoin that's out there is already out there. And so the government does have this sticky problem with Bitcoin where uh, it's almost impossible unless you're keeping it on an exchange for the government to tax wealth gains yeah. uh, for Bitcoin in the same way that they tax it for assets. So there is kind of like an interesting avoidance thing there that Bitcoin has an advantage. So we've got a disadvantage on capital gains, but an advantage for a, a wealth tax. Yeah, I think that probably the closest thing to a wealth tax that we have is property tax. So right. your house is worth more and it goes up in value and then they end up collecting a little more property tax. But of course, property tax stays local. That That's more for your uh, local education, police and fire, roads, city, city expenses, whatever. So. Uh, but that's where the government would have some data and, and uh, uh, hopefully those proposals will be shot down. And um, so, yeah, this looks like a, a decent place to start to wrap. I think there's issues uh, people with in the crypto world or Robinhood trading. They probably got hit with a few surprises. Yeah. Uh, I think they it's probably the onus is on them to uh, establish their cost basis um, when they go to file. And so Robinhood might just have to file like the, the dollar volume yeah. of what it sold, but not have. And that's usually on the investor for yeah. the cost basis. So, and of course, these novice investors that are just, oh, this is fun. And, and then all of a sudden they might get hit with real dollars yeah, if yeah. they hit something big. Uh, some of our big GameStop win winners or something might have got hit with a pretty good bill. So, so anyway, well, that looks like a good spot to wrap. Um, it's been uh, good to kind of feel out this capital gains tax from a policy perspective. Uh, if inflation continues at the high rates, uh, it seems like uh, it would be just to start to factor in inflation into this uh, capital gains. Otherwise, it seems like the government's just they create the inflation and then they get to collect the tax from the inflation. That's not hitting me right. That doesn't feel quite fair. And hopefully that'll be enough to to get people um, some policy change if this inflation persists into the long haul for us, which I hope it doesn't. All right. Well, this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five-star rating helps other people find us. Otherwise, uh, please uh, forward this on to your friends and family with email or other ways that you communicate with them. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.